Our scripture readings this morning coalesce around the theme of hospitality. The word only explicitly appears in our reading from Hebrews in verse 2 there with the charge to not forget to show hospitality to strangers. That's an extension of the love sisters and brothers in Christ are to share among themselves. But each of our readings this morning touch on hospitality in some fashion. For me personally, this feels quite timely coming after our family's sabbatical. During these past months, we experienced incredible Christian hospitality at various churches, and in particular, among one intentional prayer community with whom we spent two weeks. We tasted of what these readings touch upon, the goodness, the grace of hospitality extended in the name of Jesus. This theme also feels timely for us as a community, kicking off an important fall season. We, earlier this year, you may or may not be aware, purchased this building, the adjacent lots. And in the coming months, we'll be reflecting upon, sharing together, praying over a vision about the use of this property, and in fact, conducting a capital campaign related to that vision. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) But a huge part of that vision for this space, for the adjacent loss, involves them becoming a place of hospitality, increasing as a place where the welcome of God in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is experienced as an expression of the welcome we all receive into the household of God. We will, of course, have more to say about this in the weeks to come. It will surely be an exciting and stretching season. You can be praying for that campaign for our community now. Now, our readings don't really get into the how of hospitality. They don't really give practical guidance on how a welcome in Christ should be extended. You can get those answers elsewhere. There's the early Christian text, the Didache, that was written just after the New Testament. I'm pretty sure you can find it as a PDF online somewhere. But it outlines, even there, the parameters, the limits of Christian hospitality. You might look to a more contemporary source. There's Making Room by Christine Pohl, the book from which the quote on the front of your bulletin is pulled. It offers serious, thoughtful reflection on the form hospitality is taken in Christian history and might take today. But rather than focus on the how of our hospitality, the readings we have this morning, especially our gospel reading from Luke, point us to consider the who and the why of our hospitality. And as we explore these features, the who, the why, I'd like to group our thinking under two headings. First, everything in its right place. And second, the one who calls us to something better. So first, everything in its right place. For those of you who are around, you might recall that in the year 2000, there was a banger of a song by Radiohead by that very title from their album Kid A. And the song itself exists in kind of a tension with the sentiment of that line. The song was written out of the experience of depression and anxiety. The song communicates this sense of dislocation, alienation, of not being in the right place, of things being out of alignment. Even as the line, everything is in its right place, is repeated over and over. I suspect, no, I know that many of us can immediately and easily emphasize with the feelings communicated by that song. 
We long for what is out of place to be properly aligned. We desire for ourselves to be in the right place, at home, at rest, in a world of estrangement and homelessness. Luke 14, our gospel reading, describes people, both guests and hosts alike, desperately seeking to make themselves in the right place. They're grasping, they're seizing, they're using others to make themselves feel right, at home, okay, in a world of dislocation and scarcity. On first glance, Jesus' comments seem like straightforward, practical wisdom. How to behave at a party, how to curate your guest list as a host, right? Etiquette tips with Jesus. Indeed, several of the phrases that Jesus uses here connect with passages from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. The early Christian theologian Cyril of Alexandria describes Jesus' comments here as communicating the value of proper conduct and a modesty of mind essential for the good life. And Jesus, who's not only the Son of God, but is the, the wisest, most intelligent person who ever lived, does communicate this very basic message about the value of humility, about its usefulness, right? The way that seeking a lower place often leads to a better outcome. That's true, right? It's better, it's more fruitful often, it's more freeing, less exhausting to practice humility and step away from the games of social status, the grasping, the clinging, the fighting to make our own names. Right? We've all been to gatherings where the kids' table seems like way more fun, right? because it's free from so much of this posture. But this word of practical wisdom Jesus offers is tied to this deeper and richer message of good news. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. This statement, it builds on Proverbs 25, 6 and 7, Ecclesiastes 1.30, Ezekiel 21.26. It connects to Mary's song at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, where she sings of the, the bringing down of rulers, the elevation of the humble. The phrase is repeated verbatim in Luke chapter 18, almost like it's this really important idea central to Jesus' understanding of his mission, message, and work. It's not just a proverb or a piece of good advice. Rather, it's a statement about reality, and it is a promise about the future. And the promise is simply this, that Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever into the future, is reliably going to get everything into its right place, including you. Get you, get things where they need to be, where they belong. Now, some of us might hear that word as a threat, right? He talks about those who exalt themselves will be brought low. We sang about it, troubling the waters. You're like, I like the waters. <laughs> Keep them the way they are. In verse 7 of Luke 14 describes how Jesus notices the guests. The language there is he actually had this like fixed observance, like he cares. He is watching human behavior. It's like that irreverent bumper sticker you sometimes say, Jesus is coming back, look busy. And the very language here connects to the picture in Hebrews 13 we get, right? 
God's judgment regarding sexual immorality. That is not a topic I intended to talk about on my first Sunday back from sabbatical, but there it is in the text. And all of that is sobering, right? It's language that causes us to draw up short, perhaps to consider the, the pattern, the form of our own lives. Like what is done in, this, in the secret will be brought into the light. Yet even in that word of judgment, there is good news, right? Everything in its right place. A reckoning, an accounting for the wrongs we see done, for the wrongs done to us. Yes, even the wrongs we might do, right? Jesus pays us the dignity of taking seriously what we leave undone, what we do. And those actions, the trampling of others, the, the using of people for one's own exaltation, as so much sexual immorality is all about, the very opposite of hospitality, those things, Jesus seems to be suggesting, will not be left ignored. There is one who will set those who would exalt themselves into the right place. There is one who is bringing justice. So it's this good but heavy word. And beyond that heaviness, beyond that word of judgment, for all who would humble themselves, the promise of a place, the promise of belonging. This is the implication of Jesus' words in, in verses 12 to 14. Building on the promise that those who humble themselves will be exalted, he implores hosts, reflect this gracious reality of my kingdom. Welcome others. Now, Jesus makes this comment about who to welcome, who to invite in this very complex context where there's a lot of uh, complexity to the ideas of honor and shame and social status. It's this mixture of like religious piety, your family heritage, the wealth you have, your ethnic background, your personal history, your corporate history, all of that mixing together. Not unlike our own day, where we might not have like the obvious markers of social status and class, but they're there and it, we all kind of intuitively know how to navigate these things. It's complex. But what unifies those that Jesus suggests should be regular recipients of hospitality, what they all share is that they don't have what it takes to play the game. The poor, the disabled, the blind, they're the ones who lack the means to participate in this complex exchange of honor or status that marked so much of society then and even now. And Jesus seems to be saying, promising, whatever your past, whatever your social status and power or lack thereof, you are welcome. God welcomes you. The poor are to be in regular rotation in our guest list, because their place in society, humbled at the very bottom with nothing to repay that offer, is reflective of our place, yours and mine, in the kingdom of heaven, in the household of God, in the church. Without a leg to stand on, but for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those with no social capital, with nothing to trade in terms of status, are in the right place among the people of God. Such people are in the right place here at 8140 Exchange Drive, among us, and in our homes, and in our lives, because their place is the same as ours in relation to Jesus and entrance into his kingdom. 
to his dinner party, to his feast. They are unable to repay, and so are we. They are graciously welcomed in regardless, and so are you. In Christ, everything, including you, can be brought in, can be brought in to their right place. The poet George Herbert touched on this sentiment. He wrote in this poem, he said, Humble we must be if to heaven we go. High is the roof there, but the gate is low. The most ancient and perhaps widely used of Christian prayers is the Jesus prayer. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? Words of humility, humbling words, words of entry into the right place, into life with God. If you can utter those words, as you utter those words, as you conform your life to the pattern of those words, you are in the right place, brought home. What might be the payoff? What are the implications of this? I think simply this. Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the lowest place, to death on the cross, has now been lifted high, has ascended to the highest possible places. Today, tomorrow, forever. And by his victorious death, and in that ascendant place as the creator of all things, he is now drawing you and me to himself into his abundant kingdom where we don't belong in and of ourselves, where we can't pay or earn our way in, where we can only humbly enter accepting all that he has given. In the imagery of Exodus 24, he's given us a place at the table to eat and drink. In the language of Psalm 112, he has abundantly provided riches for us beyond, outside what this world might measure or count or even be able to imagine. So now, you can seek the lower place with freedom. You can extend a welcome to those who cannot repay without worry about your place or status. Secure that Jesus is today and into the future moving you, moving all things into their right place. I just want to say something. It, this can feel, I think, quite foreign. The idea that you'd like, well, I'd tit for tat, invite people over and they repay. Like, what does that actually look like in our society? I think it actually happens subtly more often than we might realize. Uh, this is kind of a confession. I think it happens among church planting priests and pastors. When we started planning I, uh, this church, I noticed, I was like, I am like drawn to be like, oh, someone will come. And I'm like, I need to have coffee with that person. And I started to notice, I was like, I'm drawn to people who are like me. And I'm like, they're cool. I want to be the pastor of a church where there are cool people at. So I'm going to invite them out for coffee or something like that. And if you're wondering, you're like, he took me out for coffee. Am I one of those cool people? <laughs> Absolutely. You definitely are one of those cool people. But the temptation is there, right? You're like, I want to be seen in the company of these people. Beyond that, it's just easier right? You're like, we like the same shows. We talk about the same things. We have the same kind of experiences and education level. It's simpler and easier. But it seems to me what Jesus is challenging us, challenging his people about, is saying, you have everything you need. You are much more secure than you could imagine. So you don't have to do this game. You don't have to uh, prop yourself up by making it easy for yourself. 
He's not saying like, don't ever invite your sister over for dinner or something like that, right? But he's saying in your habit, in your practice, as a reflection of the profound security you have, extend yourself, humble yourself, pursue people who are very different than you, whom you would not be caught dead with, but for the sake of Jesus. That is part of the call. That is part of what it means to like receive the gospel to have the gospel shape our lives. All right, I should have stood over here. That was like, that was totally off the cuff and a little bit more than I probably had in my notes. Apologies. I I just came back from sabbatical. I'm like a little fired up. Um, Okay, the point of this is you are right where you need to be in Christ. And so you have this freedom. You have this freedom to extend yourself. And that's not just a feature of our entry into the kingdom, but it speaks to God's posture to you throughout your life. God is the one who calls. That's our second heading, right? There's this way, I think, of envisioning the Christian life as like, well, you get in by like gracious and unmerited favor, God's grace. And then that's followed by this long list of to do's, right? You get that impression perhaps even from the Hebrews 13, heard out of context. You get in by grace, but then you better measure up. But an interesting feature, I think, of our reading in Luke 14 is how Jesus shifts from verse one, where he's the guest and he's like observed, to the end where it seems like Jesus is the host, like Jesus is running the show at this party. He is the master of ceremonies. And it's a reminder that he is the host. We come to this table, Jesus is the host. When you hold a dinner party as a Christian, Jesus in some profound way is the host. And the word host in our reading is most literally translated as the one who calls the one who has called. And that phrase is used of God time and again throughout the New Testament. He is the one who calls you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's the one that calls you out of slavery to sin to something better. He's the one that calls you to himself. That is who Jesus reveals God to be. He's the one who calls us who have nothing to give into life with God. He's the one who calls us to communion with him at this table in all of life. For some of us, he first called years ago. For others of us, it was more recent. For some of us, we're like, I don't know that I have ever heard that call. But still he calls, even now, by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus calls you and I, our neighbors, our coworkers, those like us, those very different from us. He says, friend, move up to a better place. This is God's call to us. Move to a better place. Come up further. Come up higher. That call today, it might be an invitation to greater freedom and healing, to a new way of thinking, into a more fruitful way of life and being. That call might make the, take the form of conviction regarding sin around some pattern of behavior, some addictive cycle that needs to cease, come up to a better place. The call might take the form of some new action, right? Like God might be calling you into further into community, sign up for a neighborhood group. He might be calling you more to service, right? Sign up to volunteer for sure. (laughs) He may be calling you to some new participation, obedience in his cause of justice and peace in the world. It might be a difficult thing, a downward seeming path, But the call of Christ is always this call to a better place. Jesus is our host. And this invitation for you 
even a challenging and difficult word. It is a call to be closer in, further in, in the life that you were made for, to be more human, to be drawn near to the one who is our creator. This is the tenor of Jesus' invitation to you. Friend, come up to a better place. There's a way of hearing all this, hearing this message regarding hospitality and humility and connecting the dots, right, in our minds between God's welcome of us and this that's free and gracious and then our actions, right? You're like, I should recall the hospitality God has shown me in this abstract way and then I should turn outward and I should do something similar among those who can offer nothing in return. And that's like true. That's a faithful way of hearing the, the word of the Lord today. Like, I heard this, this is true, and now I should go put it into practice. But man, I want something more for you. I want something more for us. I'm a, I'm a priest. I want all kinds of things for you. Some of them are not maybe what God wants, but this one, I think this is what God wants for you. I think God has something more for his people than just this abstract, okay, that's true. I will put it into practice. While on sabbatical, my son Emmett and I had the privilege of going on this like amazing hike into the mountains. And one of the highlights of this hike was at the very top, there's this beautiful alpine lake. And we dove into this lake and it was brutally cold, refreshingly so. And I remember as we got out of the lake, both of us just bursting with laughter. There was nothing specifically that had happened that was funny. It was just the joy and delight of the moment. At no point did I think, this did not occur in my brain. Like, this is beautiful. This is fun. I should laugh, right? <laughs> it was this visceral response to the beauty, the goodness of the moment. I saw this at work. I felt it at work today with the song, right? The, the danceable song. I'm like the worst dancer. I'm like the worst dancer in my family. I cannot dance. I'm the last person. Something was happening to my hips and my knees during that song, right? And you're like, I want to move. I could see it. I could see it on all your faces. I could see it out there. But the idea is you're not like, oh, this is good. I should move my body. That's not a recipe for good dancing. It's a response to this experience. My desire, I believe with all of my being, God's desire for you is that you would in a more profound, a more experiential way, taste and know that you are at home in the Lord. Know that he has and is continuing to call you to himself to that better place that you would have in your being what the BCP says, the Book of Common Prayer says, is an awareness of the mercies of God, such that acts of humility, acts of hospitality would arise in your life naturally, as second nature. Like if you're lacking that and you need to think it through, think it through. But would the love of God be shed in our hearts to such a profound degree that these actions would spontaneously of themselves arise in us. If you're not there, I encourage you in a few minutes, come to this table with expectancy that God has that for you. Seek someone out and be like, I don't have that. I want that. And we will pray that the spirit of God would move on your heart in such a way, such that you would know in your being that you are already now right where you need to be in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.